Father, we thank you once again that we're your sons and daughters, and we're well, your sons, and we've been called by you. But we thank you too that you have an interest in us, and that every one of us, you 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 feel for us, you you know what we're going through, you understand us, and we want to just ask you, even those areas that we feel so unable, so ill-equipped, that you'll just make up all the deficit in us through Christ. Help me in my teaching, but help the, these men to truly imbibe in everything that's only from you, not what I say, but what you are convicting them of, talking to them about. Make it more than just information, but transformation. And again, we're asking that the spirit of revelation will work in our midst as we give you praise. We praise you for Jesus. Jesus, you're the head of the church, but you're also the lover of our souls. You're our best friend. You're everything we'll ever need. And we want to just be able to reflect all of that, who you are in every area of our lives all the time, if that is possible. We know our weaknesses. We know where we fail. We know the things that we don't like. We know the things we do like. You know it all about it, and you know every area. But I'm asking you to strengthen us in our weakness, but not that we become strong in ourselves, but in your might and the power of the Spirit of God. So, Holy Spirit, we're looking to you to have your own way in our midst and make us better, and our church has changed at every level. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. Just try and finish off these few little extra parts of the church that Jesus is building that I've put here. There's a whole lot more, and they, uh, they're in some of the manuals and other things that I've put out before, but uh, can't cover everything. All right, so we, we were looking at the fact that we are to be... Um, we're... Yeah, sorry. The last one I think I touched is... The bride, the bride of Christ. Oh, where is that? The light just on this one is not as good as when it was there, so I'm just priesthood, bride. There's some pages gone missing in mine here. Anyway. Hopefully I'll find them in a moment and we'll get back there. I found it. Right. The next thing is that we, the next little picture or expression is the church, the word church itself, that the church is the church, but the church Jesus building is the church, the ecclesia. And there are just some, some things we need to know and be reminded of about those, the, the word church. First of all, it's the word ecclesia. And that really means the called out ones. And that really means and carries with it the implication and the ramifications of the fact that we are different to anything else in all of society. There is nothing else. We should not be like society. In actual fact, King James talks about us in one, and Peter, Peter writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, says we are a peculiar people or the chosen ones. Uh, we are just to be different. And I wonder how if how honest we're being about ourselves as to how different we really are and what we do. Uh, our value system, from what we operate, how we do things, how we handle people, how we treat people, we're to be altogether different. Every single thing we say or do, we should be reflecting the image of Christ. 
That's what he's wanting to do in the church. Now, I just want us to try and understand something. When you look at Dudley, you see something of the image of Christ, I hope. But even if I was got closer to perfection, the perfection I'm not going to get to in this life, you would still not see all that Jesus is. But the more of us that are more like Jesus, when we put together, and that's what church is, you see more of what he really is. So what I'm trying to say is that in the church, the local church that you're in, in the translocal of what we're doing, and in the church across the world, no matter what group we link with or whatever else, people should look at us and say, so now I'm getting more of an understanding of what Jesus Christ is like, therefore I'm beginning to understand what God's like. But I unfortunately feel like the picture they're getting is the exact opposite of what we should be. They hear us fighting with each other, talking about each other, criticizing one another, fighting over non-essential theologies, like we've got it all, our group, our church, our eldership, and, and it's so, we've got to help the people that are in our church to understand that it's not enough for them to feel they can do, the rest of you get on with trying to be like Jesus, not me. I'm just going to be myself. Well, if you could, if being yourself was good enough, and I do believe we have to be ourselves, but ourselves in Christ, being ourselves is not good enough. Otherwise, Jesus did not have to die. If, if just being ourselves was good enough and, and we got to where we responded to Christ and got saved, but that was good enough, then Christ wouldn't have a body because he needs a body to express who he is. He says, I've come to do your will and you've prepared a body for me. Jesus needed a physical body. He's gone from that, the earth on, in the physical body, but he still has a physical body and it's no longer limited to that small area he said, it's expedient that I go, that, that you might receive the, the comforter. And he will be, all of you, everywhere, all the time. So when, when we as the body, we should be showing people more and more and more and more and more what like Jesus is like by being so different. So when we're forever introducing into our own personal lives all sorts of worldly stuff, even their vocabulary, even some of their sayings that can convey the wrong perception of truth. The nor we use this, the, this is the new normal because it's the, one of the in things to say. We've changed our whole vocab. The new normal. When you use that new normal in the church, people are thinking what they're hearing out in the world. There is no new normal in the church. It's the same because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to be careful what we're using. Now, hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. All I'm, what I'm trying to say is we're trying to be so with it that we're undermining biblical truth because people are interpreting that through what they're getting out there, not through what the church was, is trying to share. Very little of what's happening out there did the church start. What's happening in our church, most of it started out there. And we've imported it in. Are you hearing me? So be careful. 
Now, that, you're saying, well, we're not allowed to, you could say, I oh, know you don't, wouldn't do it anyway, but just if you were still saying, are you saying we're not allowed to use the word new normal? I, would, I can't say you can't. I'm just saying be careful. And I've used that as an illustration. There's so much of the vocab out there, the new, that hey, it's, it's just watering down biblical truth. Are you with me? I hope you catch that. All right, so we're, we're to be the church, the ecclesia. And being part of the church and the different ones, the called out one, we are living with eternity in our minds. Every decision we make as a church, as a leadership in the church, in our togetherness, when we're waiting upon it, we're thinking of eternity. Not what's that going to help right now, but right through till Jesus comes back. What we set in motion so often now, just to meet the crisis that we're facing, just starts to give off the wrong set in motion things that we're going to undo later. So hear me please on that. All right. The next thing quickly is, expression is the wineskin. Jesus speaks about it in Matthew 9 and some of the other gospels, pouring new wine into a new wineskin. Now, just if you'll excuse me, just going back in my own life, when I got, got saved, just a little bit about my journey and I want to come back again. I don't want to speak much about my journey. But when I came to know Christ, I came out of a background that had no church in it at all, no religion at all. Got saved when I was 23 or 24 years old. Didn't have a clue. Didn't know any scripture. Hadn't even heard in my entire life John 3.16. Never heard it. Nearly 24 years old. Living in a country that in those days it claimed to be a Christian country. Never heard, never heard, never heard the gospel. Never once. Heard some Christians, so-called, saying they, they're Christians, but they were condemning, critical, judgmental, harsh. Never heard that God loved me, ever. And when I came to Christ, the night I got saved, I was given a Bible. And I thank God for, I don't know who gave me that Bible, whether it was one of the people in the church, Anne's auntie who prayed me into the kingdom, I don't know who it was, it was an NIV, uh, not an amplified, well, anyway, one of those older translations of the Bible. I went home and I just started reading it. Thank God I read it, must have opened it at the right place. I didn't know, didn't know what to do with it. And I've never stopped reading it. I just loved it. I looked at it and I, I used to go back to Anne regularly and say, man, I read this this morning, and that's exactly what happened to me. It's like a lot of people say, well, if you put the right stuff in, you get the, the right stuff out. So a lot of you guys have just been brainwashed. And I have to say, well, I, no, wait a minute. I, what I found is I didn't know it. And then I found out it was in the Bible. Now, I still agree, get the right stuff in. But I didn't have the right stuff put in. I didn't even know what the preacher was preaching about. Didn't have a clue. But I got saved. And I started reading this Bible. And from that day, God began to just stir something inside of me that I can put in words now that I couldn't have for the first few years. God began to show me how different the church was to the church that I was in. And it was a great church. Because I think right there, I was beginning to understand that if you don't have the right wineskin, you're not going to have the right outcome. That what you get saved into 
is far more important than what you get saved out of. And some people have heard that so many times, it's just become a cliche. But it's the truth. And we, so often, if you haven't murdered people and raped people and you weren't a drug addict and you weren't an alcoholic and you weren't whatever else, nobody wants to hear your testimony. And so we've conveyed this thing. Listen to me, please, because some of you still fall for this. We convey this thing that makes the people who were born into the church, kids, preachers, kids, etc., feel like they've missed so much because we highlight the bad, the ugly, but we're not the good, to finish off the good, the bad, and the ugly. But we need to start highlighting what you get saved into. It's far more important than that stuff. I'd love to hear people giving testimonies who were brought up in a Christian home, like my own wife. Never did all the things I did. Not one of them, ever. First time I heard she was smoking. She was at college and I was working in Bromfontein, not too far from the teacher's training college. And I smelt the smoke. when she. And I was a smoker. I don't know how I smelt it, but... I said, have you been smoking? She said, yeah. I said, listen to me. If you smoke once more, one more cigarette, I'm going back to Durban. You just quit it right now. My wife never did all these things. And when you hear her testimony, for me, it's more powerful than some of these murderers. Now, I'm not undermining it. Thank God God's saving everyone. But if we teach it's more important what you get saved into than out of, life will change. People in the church won't feel like, hey, we've been left out of all the good stuff. The bad stuff is the good stuff. Hear me, please. I hope you are. So a wineskin, and God began to show me. And I began to ask some questions of my pastor and other Christians around that were not helpful for them, but were needed for me, and I wish I'd done it more tactfully, more wisely, whatever the case may be. But I began to ask them, why do we do this? Why do we do that? Why, why do you wear these clothes? Etc. etc. And they, they weren't giving me biblical answers. And eventually some of them began to say, why are you asking these questions? I'm saying, because when I look at the Bible, and when I look at us, including me, we, we just poles apart. And I look back now and I see that God was trying to help me to grasp the fact that we need a wineskin. We need an administration of the kingdom that is based on Bible, inspired by the Spirit of God. That which is birthed in the place of prayer, revelation, etc. And I don't know how much of the wineskin you, your church is actually came from that place. And how much is imported copied. Are you listening to me? God began, and I just had to, with God beginning to show me these things, it created problems for me. It created problems in the church I was in, and I loved that church till the day I die. I found Christ in that church. I found my wife in that church. I got married in that church. I got called by God in that church. But when I began to ask questions and then say, but that's not what the Bible says, and they wouldn't let me live what the Bible said, it created problems. I remember going to my pastor and saying to him, what do you believe the Bible teaches about just baptism? 
And he said, well, wisely, and, I, and this can be a good way for you to answer some questions, ask questions first, because Jesus often did, answered questions with, by asking questions. But anyway, he said, well, what do you believe? So I told him. He said, well, when I read through this book of Acts, I see that people got saved and then they got baptized. That baptism came after, not before. Do you believe that? He said, yes. I said, well, praise God, then will you baptize me? And he said, I dare not do that, I'll lose my job. I lose my home. I dare not do that. So I'm kind of like, I'm just a young Christian. Eh? This is throwing me. But it's, you see, I'm also I'm trying to teach a few things here, hopefully, in part, that all those things, that even though they cause some cry, cry chaos in your life and confusion sometimes, God can use them. You know, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, everything they'd been robbed of, they were given back. Everything. And that's what I'm trying to say, that God, every lesson in life, God can use, and God's the God of restoration. He restores what the locusts have eaten. I hope we can cover that a little more in the days to come. But anyway, so I was, God was showing me we need a wineskin. So I said, well, great. You say you believe it. Will you baptize me? He says, no, I'm thrown. So I said, well, what am I to do? I want to obey the Bible. You say this is what the Bible teaches. He said, well, I'll tell you what. Go down and get baptized at the Baptist church and come back and just keep fellowshipping with us. So I did. My brother, my dad, who had just come to Christ, and I, we went and got baptized in the Baptist church in Germiston in South Africa. And then went back to the church. But you see, every one of those things, God's showing me what it says in my word. Will you be willing to live it out no matter who likes or doesn't like it? Will you learn it? Will you live it out? I'm looking for this kind of leader. Now, he wasn't saying it as clearly as I'm putting it to you. That I'm looking back and seeing this is what was happening in my life. I remember when I was in another denomination, I was, had one of the fastest growing churches in that denomination, well, in the country, but in that denomination at the time too. I remember meeting with these, these people and saying, I believe in eldership-governed churches. Or, Studying the Word of God, we see this. And, they, and I'm saying, I gave them a paper and I said, do you see anything wrong with this? And they were saying, these are their top boys. No, there's nothing wrong with it. I said, well, then can we do it? They said, no, you, you can't do it and remain with us. Prior to that, when I spoke in tongues in another denomination, again in, 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 the, in the fastest growing church in that denomination, so each time I was creating problems. You know, when the biggest church or, or the fastest growing church in a denomination suddenly starts to be unhappy, it doesn't look good. So I said to them, well, is anything wrong with it? No, but you can't be that in our church, in our denomination. So all of these things, God was just working into me. Now, you don't have to go through that. You can just find the wineskin that works for your church. And I believe that God has given us in our togetherness a wineskin that can accommodate all sorts of places and positions and ministries and men and women and whatever else. But what I'm trying to emphasize is you need a wineskin that works. And if it's not working, if you see, the new wine is Jesus by his Holy Spirit. The wineskin is the administration. And hopefully we can look at that today, but 
if not today, hopefully tomorrow. But it's the administration that's suitable for the kingdom of God, something that God can work through that doesn't restrict Him, doesn't have unbiblical clauses and limitations and ceilings and whatever else. We need that in our churches. And that bigger wineskin of New Covenant Ministries International, that moment, there are a whole lot of wineskins in that wineskin. And you've got to find how your wineskin works for you where you live. And you find that in the place of prayer and revelation. You find that by spending some time with God, not just alone, but as an eldership. Some of your eldership meetings. You sit together and you wait on God. You, you feel things and you start to talk those things out. You don't just go and get told by the visionary, this is, this is it. You don't just come and get told by me, this is it. We can't do this here, but this is how I've tried to operate all the way through my life, to sit with men and sometimes with women. And we talk about these things and find our way through. And so that has to change in our churches, really, folk. If you want to be part of the church that Jesus is building, he wants an administration, and he's not going to give any one single person everything about that administration. The people you leave out that you call leaders in the church, you're losing out. You're losing what you could have had, had you listened. Even if you don't do what some contribution is, they'll know why you don't, if you have biblical pattern, the biblical truth, or you may say, well, we need to just see how we can work that one in to some of the other things God's showing us. Are you with me? I'm hoping I'm showing you that this is not a one-man thing. Too many of us have made it a one-man show, the visionary. He has a special role, but he's not a special person. He's no more special than anyone else. And everyone has a special role, and they their function in Christ. Hear me? Okay. So, the wineskin. Matthew 9, 14 to 17 tells us when the, these guys come and ask Jesus, hey Jesus, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples do? Now you'd think the question is fasting, but Jesus looks straight into the heart of them and knows what it's all about. It's about joy. Because he didn't talk about fasting until the end. He says, no, no, I mean, it wouldn't be sensible. There's no continuity or logic in it by saying, well, you, you don't take a piece of unshrunk cloth and stick it on a, or a new cloth and stick it on an old cloth. You don't pour new wine into old wineskins. What's that got to do with fasting? He's talking about the problem, their hearts, lack of joy. You see, when he talks about the new cloth and the old cloth, the old garment, he's saying you can't stick a patched up life. That's how you get saved. You need a whole new garment, the robe of his righteousness. And that's where joy starts. The name Jesus starts with J, Jesus, joy. If you want joy, joy is J-O-Y, joy is Jesus, others, yourself last. Just become a cliche. Almost every one of you knows it here. 
do we live it out? Yourself last. And then he goes on, he says, now that's how you get joy, this garment. You want to keep it. You've got to have a wineskin that can stretch, that's flexible, that's not rigid. And then I can pour the wine. And the wine is Jesus by His Spirit. And Jesus by His Spirit lives consistently with the Word of God. He doesn't do things that sometimes we say that's the Spirit. Not as a consistent thing. It's in the Word. Are you with me? So we put the emphasis on the Bible again and on the life of Jesus. We need a wineskin that can contain all of this. And that's the administration. That's how you keep joy. So, a wineskin. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says this, that he made it, this is about us, the church, to make plain the to everyone the administration of this ministry. And then it goes on to say this, his intent was that through the church, now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the principalities in the heavenly realm. That is an administration. And you see that word prior to that, that I started with, I started the quotation in Ephesians 3. An administration suitable for the kingdom of God. So we need to get that. And so we could go on. There's so many other expressions of the church Jesus is building. I'm just wondering how you're doing in your church with just the few I've expressed. Remember the tabernacle? You can't just say, well, I'm, I'm gonna, I don't want to build the rest of it. I'm just going to build this part. Then it wouldn't have been the tabernacle. Then it wouldn't have been the dwelling place of God that he wanted. And so you can't choose what you like. That's the big point that I'm trying to make with all of this. And so that's what God is trying to emphasize. And unfortunately, most of us are majoring on just parts of it. One, two, or maybe a few more. And just to the exclusion of so much else. All right. Trying to just leave some of this out. I'm just going to throw this just in quickly. The kind of church that God was wanting, eventually, this is what I think some of the expression of all those expressions will be. And so you can just try and imagine this, a church, your church becoming this. And if you can say, well, that's what my church is, and I want to say, Whew, praise God. I just have not found, including myself, where someone, anyone yet who's able to say, well, that's what my church is. All of that. But listen, imagine a church, and then imagine a local, translocal expression, the bigger than your local, where... Everyone loves God. Everyone loves God and loves each other. I mean, I could preach a sermon on that and each other. Just think of what we tolerate as if this is normal. We know the people are sitting there that don't talk to each other. On elderships. They only meet because they're on eldership, but they don't have any time for each other. They go home and speak to their wives and kids about. But imagine a church 
where everyone loved God and loved each other above all other distractions. You got it? Go to church like that? If you can say no, then you've got to say, whoa, Holy Spirit, there's work for us to do. Count me in. I'm not going to be satisfied with, because most of us sitting here have come to terms with the fact and just said, I accept the fact they're not going to all love each other. They're not going to all love you. Now, that can be okay for when you've got churches that are people, are new come, people coming in all the time, every Sunday. Then you'll never have a church as a building full of people. But the true church, the born-again ones, they should all love God above every other distraction and love each other. where they love each other even more than they love themselves. And that starts with you. Hmm. Is this possible? Well, it's not possible alone. But the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Imagine a church where there's loyalty. Loyalty. Just love, um, well, that's comma, because I want to come back. I haven't finished the sentence. How loyal are you to the other elders in your church? How loyal am I? How loyal am I truly here, here with my wife? What are these other distractions? She's got plump. She's drooping. Look at these things that walk around showing off all their bodies while they're young. How loyal. I can honestly say this before God. My wife is to me the most beautiful woman. The only one I want. How loyal are we to our kids? Loyal enough even to correct them when they're wrong. But not cruelly, vindictively. But graciously, redemptively. You're not being loyal to your family. You're not being loyal to your church. You as a leader, me as a leader, we're not being loyal when we just overlook, keep on saying, well, that's just how it's going to be. We've got to come to terms with the fact that's how it is, but that's not how it has to be. And we're not talking about idealism, idealism here now. We're talking about the Word of God, what God wants. Not only are we loyal, we're faithful, wholehearted, with a heartfelt commitment. Now, there's times I cannot get to our meetings here, the church I go to. It is such a struggle. Dudley, Darren, don't take this wrong. Just, this may be true. I, I don't want to tell a lie, so it may be true, but I'm using it more in its, just the concept. 
I can't say it is true. I'm just saying it may be, just so that I'm keeping myself clear before God. I've been in churches. I can sit and say this. I've been in churches where it's better. So it's better just to stay home. I don't have to put up with that bull. There's no heartfelt commitment in that. Even with what you see wrong, knowing that there isn't a church that doesn't have some wrong, not on earth. That's why we've got the biggest church in the whole world in every country is the parachurch, or not the, par- the group, the phantom church, I call it, that just keeps moving from church to church trying to find the perfect church. And if they actually found one, which they never will, but if they did, the day they walked in, it's no longer the perfect church. And that's true for you. You're moving from group to group. The day you walk into that group, if it was perfect, and it isn't, but if it was, it would no longer be perfect when you walked in. Are you with me? That's not being unkind. If you had a perfect group and I walked in, it would no longer be perfect. I'm throwing stones at myself if there's any stones being thrown here and there's none. But imagine a church with that kind of commitment, with all that I see wrong, I'm still committed. God's called me. People say to me, what are you doing in Adelaide? Such a small city, one point something million. What are you doing there? And I'm just saying, God told us to stay here. And until God tells us to go, we're not going. I'm absolutely committed to staying here. I'd love to see more churches being planted here in our ranks. I'd love to see it. I believe with all my heart. We could have a thousand people per church with one million people. Do the math. I think it works out we could have a thousand churches here. I'm not too sure. Correct me. A thousand churches in Adelaide of a thousand people, and we were beginning to now we're reaching beginning to reach the people, the country, the city. What are you worrying about if guys want to start a church a few blocks away from you? Think of the city. Stop thinking about yourself. You see what I'm talking about? Committed. I have had this invitation. I don't get it much anymore. Come and base yourself with us. We'll pay for anything and everything. We'll see your salary. We'll do everything you need. Come and be with us. And I want to tell you that some of them even are in South Africa, and I love to go back there. But never. What are you doing now? I just have to say, God told me to come here, and God's never told me to go back anywhere else. I'm here. Well, what are you doing in that church? Come to our church, and we can give you this platform and that platform will do this for you. God told me to come here. Imagine a church where all your people have that kind of commitment. I hope that doesn't sound like I'm blowing my trumpet. I've got plenty of failures, plenty of weakness. Are you seeing some of them as I'm preaching? You can't sit and watch a man for long without seeing something. We used to have one of the guys in, the, the, in South Africa, one of the black guys there. I think he was a Zulu Azula, I think he was Azulu. Used to, they used to always get him out and, and they say, just show us Dudley when he's preaching. And this guy, he just copied me. I mean, better, he did me better than I can do myself. <laughs> <laughs> they used to do it regularly, especially at the Rumpenthal <laughs> times. They, 
show, hey, get a, show us a Dudley. And, and I just, and then I suddenly start, I'm preaching and I'm in the middle of something and I'm suddenly going to do what this guy pointed out and I'm, You, can, you don't watch a man for long without seeing. Oh, if I sat and watched you guys, even seated, you're not even doing anything, it won't be long before I'm picking up a whole lot of things that are problematic in your life. <laughs> and you all focus here and watching me for three days, you see plenty. I'm far from perfect. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> all right. Because unity, the place, we're talking about imagine this kind of church, that's the place God commands a blessing. Imagine a church that regular conversions, real conversions, not decisions, but genuine disciples. I'm seeing people, and I watch it on TV too, and you see these people raising their hands or coming, sometimes in the thousands, and no new churches added, and no churches growing. I remember Ray McCauley back in South Africa when I was in my early days too. Ray once was sitting with me and he said to me, we've, we've examined a certain evangelist in the, in the country, not, not wrongly, they were friends. We've examined this and we've been to all these places he's been around Africa and we've tried to find out, have the churches grown or are there new churches and we can't find any after 10 years of ministry or 15, whatever it was. It's so easy to make a decision. I'm talking about genuine conversions. When somebody is genuinely converted, they want to be with God's people. They want to be involved. I cannot see how you can get saved until you get brutalized. I can understand when you start getting bashed by the church and you know all the stuff that churches can do to you that you start to maybe want to withdraw, but not when you're genuinely first saved. And I, and I, I want to tell you, I have been hurt, man. I have been kicked in the gut. I've been betrayed by some of my closest friends. I've been betrayed at every level. I've been criticized, talked about, ridiculed, people writing articles about me in different papers before we even had the internet. Man, it's all happened to me. And I've never once honestly wanted to quit on Jesus. Never. Never. Sometimes I've almost wanted to quit on the church. And I say almost because I'm saying that carefully. I've never seriously wanted to quit on the church, but there have been these things. The church has brutalized me, man. You're not new. It's not the first, you're not the first guy this happened to. But when you're genuinely converted and you know Christ, you've got to say with Peter, where, to whom else can we go? You alone have the, the words of life. There's nowhere else. I don't want to be any, I've just got to be there. Put your hand up if you haven't been kicked in the gut by the church. We're all in the same boat, man. It's not something new. Imagine a church full of people. If that can happen to some guy like me, surely it can happen to anyone. If it can happen to you, you're here. The fact that you're here and you can't put your hand up says you stuck it out. What you got from God and who He is and what He's become to you, you can't throw that away. Not for anything. No matter what the church does. 
how it abuses you, how it misuses you. Imagine a church full of those people. Imagine you've got 50 in your people, your church, or you've got 500 or 5,000. Imagine 5,000 people just like that. Well, I'm asking you to start believing for that. When you begin to believe for that, because it's in the Word of God, God begins to be able to do something. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. It could, but I don't know of it happening overnight. But God can do anything. But we've got to help our people to understand this thing isn't a club. You know, I used to, when I was living in Zimbabwe, I only lived there for one year. I remember we'd be up in, say, like Lake Kariba, and we'd hold a crusade up there. And then I'd be driving home to Harare, which was in those days was still Salisbury. I remember coming home, I'd be driving like one o'clock in the morning after a few days of ministry that we would do. I'm on my way home. And I'd drive past little towns, all these little towns on the way to the border. And you'd see the lights on. All you drive past churches, all the lights are off. You drive past these pubs and clubs. And they're all the lights on. And I remember driving and thinking to myself, you know, they get more there and they want to be there more than most of God's people want to be with God's people. And they're there to get drunk. I remember thinking that a few times in driving home. And God putting in my heart, why is it like that? Can I change? Do you believe I can change that? And that was before I ever pastored a church. I was just an evangelist up there for the first year. But imagine that, people being added to the church daily. Can you imagine the church, not only people where it's added, then multiplying? See, two plus two makes four. Two times two equals four. But when you say two times plus three makes five, two times three is six. Multiplication is better than addition. Ten times ten is a hundred, is twenty. Ten times ten plus ten is twenty. Ten times ten is a hundred. Imagine a church... Not only added daily, adding, but God multiplying. That's the book of Acts, church. But it wasn't just salvations. They had lots of persecutions and opposition, disappointments, discouragements, all sorts of stuff, all in the presence of God. That in it all, God was present. Not only in the, all these guys coming to say, but imagine, imagine a church. Where if, if it happened with that small church in the book of Acts, where somebody walks past and a shadow falls, what could happen? Just with us. I don't know how many churches are represented here. I think when we were all coming, I think I counted there were 34 churches being represented. Just imagine 34 churches full. Big or small, and some of them are big churches that were coming. Some may be big churches. I don't even know who's yeah, name-wise anymore because the list has changed so badly. But imagine if all the people believe for these things. But if we highlight just the shadows and we ignore the fact that when persecution comes and there can be discouragements and all sorts of things, that even men like Paul are stoned 
Men like Paul have to put their tails between their legs like a dog running away and get left down, down, the side, the, down the side of a city and run for their lives. Do you know that that was an act of the, apostle, of the, of the Holy Spirit? He was still there. His presence was still there. Man, widen, broaden. Do what Paul said. I, can't, I preach the whole counsel of God, not just parts. This is all the presence of God. People trying, can you imagine? Imagine a hypocrite comes into the church and they're so hypocritical and past the point of redemption that when you just say, why do you lie to the Holy Spirit? Dead. And then another guy's dropped down dead and you just go and raise him from the dead. Not the hypocrite. Are you with me? But you see, it's no use just highlighting raise them from the dead without saying some drop down from the drop dead. All of that presence of God. Peter didn't pull out a gun and bow, 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 bow. you hypocrite. Just said, why are you lying? Dead. Who did it? The Holy Spirit. Oh, but he doesn't kill people, doesn't he? Read your Bible. You see, if you just say, well, I'm just a New Testament Christian, you don't read the Old Testament, you'll interpret that so narrowly. The whole Bible, we've got to be whole Bible, W-H, not H-O-L-E, W-H. You see, God just blots out nations, blots out cities. You with me? Now, I don't like that. But our people have to understand God doesn't just say everything's okay. You got Jesus. Hallelujah. Just, you know. No, you can, my son, and this is what I love about the book of Acts. Right from the beginning, they get Paul, just his conversion. Go and tell him, and they're nice. Go and tell him what he's going to have to suffer for my name's sake. Hey, wait a minute. I'm a positive thinking guy, man. Hold it. Don't come and give me the stuff about suffering. You must needs through much tribulation enter the kingdom. Jesus said it. He that will live godly, this is in the New Testament, bros. He that will live godly shall suffer persecution. It's also there. Paul was doing everything he knew to be right, and he lost his friends. Some of his most trusted people, people he wrote about and said how wonderful they were, he has to say they're all gone. All I'm left with is Timothy. Wow, what a failure. You say, Dudley, get off this stuff now. I want to, man. Yeah, in actual fact, I don't like talking about it. I'll be honest with you. There's, me, I'm, I, I lean towards this, but just by personality, but not by persuasion. I, I believe the whole Bible. And we've got to get to where we believe the whole Bible as well. And when somebody talks about this, I mean, you just ask yourself, when last did you preach on hell? In actual fact, when last did you actually preach on heaven? 
Never mind hell. But it's all kind of feel-good stuff. And we wonder why people just bail out when things go wrong. Because we're making God our servant. Do me right, God, and then I'll serve you. Do me wrong and you're, you're out of my picture. You can get lost. But when we teach them, hey man, when things go wrong, that doesn't mean God's not there. He's not present with you. Even sickness, man, I don't understand how Paul has to say, I've left, Trophimus have I left sick in Miletus. I said, Paul, man, you had that vision that I've never had. I've been up into the third heaven. You've raised the dead. I have never raised the dead. Couldn't you just raise that guy up? What's wrong with you? There's just some things we don't fully understand. But our people need to know that doesn't mean God's not with us. Move off it, Dudley, please. I'm getting tired of you telling us these truths. But imagine a church where people are continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just once in the baptism, but where the Spirit of God comes upon them again and again. Where Paul is able to write and be being filled, constantly, ongoingly being filled. Imagine a church where when you pray, somewhere along the line, even once in a lifetime, where the building shakes. I want to say this to you. If, you, we, we, if we were to read Haggai, the book of Haggai, and you look at the first chapter and go into the second chapter, God talks about I told you to build me a church, a house, a dwelling place. But you guys gave yourselves to building your house and have neglected building mine. Think about that. Because I do. Because he's actually saying you've got holes in your pockets. Because you're taking what is mine, and you see, you only take what is yours, what is his, you take it when you want, and you make yourself more important than him. When your projects become more important than his, you go and look for yourself. Some of us are building our own homes, even as, not our, our little family home, our own home, instead of his house. And we're calling it church. It's where I get all the benefits, where I'm acclaimed, where I'm held in the highest esteem, where I'm honored and I'm praised and I'm almost worshipped. Dear pastor, oh pastor, yes pastor, no pastor. I hope that that's not true for you, but I know for some of us it is. Otherwise, I wouldn't be saying it. All right. Now, having said all of that, I want you to understand something. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8 and 9, 
And God gave me this once here in this kind of city when, I, when somebody was trying to entice me out and I was almost feeling like I want to quit. God said this to me, a great door. Paul wrote it. God spoke it to my heart, made it rhema. He says, a great door for effective work has opened to me. A great door for effective work has opened to me. You say, praise God, Paul. And he says, and there are many who oppose me. You see, I want to just say this to you. This is what I'm trying to get across now. Is that what you're going through now, the devil knows your potential. Even not just what's been realized, and I don't want to be a big potential guy where we make this the, the new God. The potential, each one of our potential. But there's tremendous potential in all of it. And the devil knows it. If he didn't know it, he wouldn't be trying to get babies aborted, killed, murdered. He, gets, he can't just have fun out of a baby who, who can't even serve him and isn't going to help. There's a bigger purpose. He knows that in that baby, no matter where they are, no matter what religion they've brought up in, be it even demonic, Satan worshippers, and this baby's born in that family, he knows the potential in that person. So I better kill them before that potential can ever be realized. You go to Revelation, the 12th chapter, and you'll see how the devil wanted to kill the baby, the baby church. Read it for yourself in the book of Revelation, the 12th chapter. You'll see that when Jesus was born, the king says, kill all the babies born around that time. With Moses. Kill the babies. Now, I'm not on about abortion right now as much as I believe it's wrong. I'm trying to say that what happens to you today that might not be good, might not look good, might be really a trial and a major test in your life, is not necessarily about today. It's the future. Remember that Jesus is going to go across the river, the, 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 the Sea of Galilee, and there's a Gadarean demoniac there. And on the way, a storm arises. Who caused that storm? I wonder sometimes if it wasn't the devil, knowing when Jesus gets to that demon-possessed man, that if Jesus touches him, the potential that gets released. So he causes a storm. Now, I can't be sure, but I can be sure that the devil wants things to happen in your life to stop what you could be. So it's not for now. And we look at the now, look at what I'm going through now. Even today, with all this coronavirus stuff, God can use this. We have to look at how we do church. I think some of these guys with really big buildings today are really going to have to reassess what they're doing how they do church, even if it's only for the next six months or year, got to relook at things. And I believe that some of the stuff that will come out of that will carry on into the future for them, even if we can get back into the big buildings. But things they neglected in the past. God says, I work all things together for good to them that love the Lord, to them which are the called according to my purpose. 
So what happens in your life around now and tomorrow and the next day and the next year, it's not necessarily for what's happening then. It's what's ahead of you. Bear that in mind. Live with eternity in mind. The church that we make, our spiritual home, can either make us or break us, help us or hinder us. Now you say, but I'm the leader of the church or I'm one of the leaders of the church. I'm in already. But I want you to think of this for your people. The church they make, when they come to join you, can either make or break them, help or hinder them. Too many churches are legalistic, ungracious, judgmental, with all the restrictions. You're not allowed to, you can, you're not, you can do this, you can't do that. And others, of course, are so liberal, you can do anything. God understands. Sleep with that woman, just, just tell God you're sorry tomorrow morning. Don't have to mean it, knowing you're going to go back to her a few nights. Don't worry, God understands. The church that we make our home can make or break us. And that's true of the translocal as well. When I look at the New Testament church, I see that it was, instead of being legalistic and judgmental, etc., I see it being so simple. Sometimes I go into churches and I feel like, do you remember Mr. Bean? I don't know if he's still around, but there's one, one scene somewhere in some movie where he's in this church, and every now and then he suddenly remembers one line. I often feel like that. I think I'm absolutely out of my depth. I don't know what these people are doing. I don't even know that God knows what they're doing. But it's so mysterious and mystical that it has to be some, has to be some spiritual thing in it. It's just like weird, man. When I look at the New Testament church, the book of Acts, and right through, it's just so simple. We're so organic. Are these guys all, you know, Jesus got 4,000, got the 5,000. Tell these guys to sit down in rows. Just, what have we got here? Look, just, just go and give it to these guys, man. Well, we've only got five loaves, a couple of fish here, man. Go, just go. Organic life, not organized. Okay, now, brethren, we, let's all be seated. Now let's do this. I'm not going to say it in these words, people, but you know I mean this. You may now, you're allowed to sing this song. And you're not singing it with an upverver. Get excited, man. Give me a J. Give me a G, a E. Give me a S. Give me a U. Give me a... What does that spell? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We all sit down. <laughs> what are you doing? Stirring up the church. No, man. The Spirit of God says we to stir up ourselves. It was simple. It was organic. People were free.
I'm reading stuff here and thinking, I dare not go there. <clears throat> but I've just come to this last little point on this one little thing that I'm skipping over. A lot of, they were even willing to lay down their lives for each other. The New Testament church. Just amazing thing to me. You know that Acts 11? There was a church planted in a place called Antioch. Do you know who planted it? Give me the name of one person that planted it. Just from the Bible. One name. You know what? There isn't a name. You know what they, then what they called? Those and they. Unknowns. But they were scattered in Acts 6. Those that were scattered, and they weren't apostles, the apostles stayed home. Their very the word is message, is sent one. The sent ones stayed home, and in our context today, the stay-at-home ones were sent. Just the ordinary people that sit there like blobs. Sunday by Sunday, yes sir, no sir. We'll all stand up, we'll all raise your hands now. Come on, raise your hands, man. Come on, raise your hands. Give us a shout. Come on, man, get excited. You know those blobs? They're the ones who went. They planted that church. And you know who based himself in that church? Paul. Do you know that that was the first church in the Bible called church. That was the first church ever to have sent out people to plant other churches. Now, they were scattered. They were not sent by a church from Acts 6. The first church, the church that we find our origins in, in a sense, from God, the Gentile church, we don't know one of their names, and they've affected the whole world. Are you willing to be People mock me when I say, man, are you willing to be just an unknown, faceless? Instead of being famous. How did this celebrity thing grip the hearts of pastors? You know, it's that diatrophies spirit that we find in, in and I think it's in Third John. He wanted to be first. Three John, did I say one John? I think it's three John. John's third letter talks about diatrophies. He wanted to be first. He wants first place, place of honor. And he's the problem guy. It's the only one that John writes about as a problem. How did this thing grip the pastors? How did it grip us? The celebrity thing. I don't understand this whole selfie thing, man. We've got an advert here. This guy says, the woman says, you know why I bought that car? I think, I want to vomit. I want to vomit. Literally, I, it makes me sick. You 
You say, you're not allowed to take selfies. Of course you can. You know what I'm trying to say. It's all this self-promotion stuff, though. I mean, guys want to know, do you, are you on my face page? Do you, do you ever? I don't want to look at that stuff. I don't want to know what your baby did this morning. My baby pooed. First poo. Wow. Life-changing. What are we doing, guys? Yeah, Dudley, you're just so old-fashioned. I don't know. Tell you what, I'm new on this. Right up to date. Best as I know how. But I'm certainly not going to fall for all this stuff that's going on around the world. Let you know this is what I've just done. Just sat with 50-something pastors from all over the place. I'm now I'm, face, I'm facing that way with you. <laughs> Off it goes around the world. All my fans. <sighs> you know, Michael, when I got saved... I got saved from extreme licentiousness. I can't even tell you some of the stuff I've done. I mean it sincerely. I, it's just stuff you, can't, you don't even want to dream about. I dreamt about some of that stuff last night, knowing and the devil knowing I'm coming here today. I, I can't remember dreaming about such filthy stuff for years. The devil just attacking at every level. When I get to my motor car and I'm seeing and I'm saying, man, I'm going to be late. I'll just put a new battery in. Dead. Got to now phone the RIA. Come and, and leave. Anne, Anne was supposed to meet with some ladies today. Can't go because she's got to be there for the RIA. When the, the devil just... But I've got to say from extreme licentiousness, Really? Radical conversion. Didn't even know what I was doing. People say, I found Christ. I've got to say that night, Christ found me. Christ found me. I know we find Christ. I'm not playing on words here. Just got to say, I know that that night, Christ found me. I went there with the wrong motives. But something of God touched my heart. Didn't know it was him. Didn't even know what the preacher was preaching about. Didn't have a clue. I went there to impress Anne's my parents because I was their worst nightmare. And I mean that sincerely. If my daughter had come home with a guy like me, I'm telling you, I, don't know, I would have not been Christian about it. <clears throat> stinking of alcohol. Every night, stinking of tobacco. Swearing. Blaspheming. Never mind the, 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 the real stuff. But I got saved radically. Radically. I went to a pub. I was alky, alcoholic. Went to a pub next Saturday night. We went to a nightclub in, in Benoni. We'd already booked before I got saved. And I said to the guy, the, the waiter comes to our table and this doll is doing all the fancy stuff in the front there, this entertainment thing. And I'm sitting there, I'm feeling very uneasy. Loved it before, 
If I'd been there the night before the Sunday I got saved, I would have been, pow! I'm sitting there, and I say to the waiter, bring me a cold iron ale. Now, some of you don't know what that is. It's a beer in South Africa. I, still, I don't know if it's still there. Bring me a cold iron ale. God, bring me. I've been drinking cold iron ales from when I was 11 years old, smoking since I was 11, getting drunk when I was 11 years old. Bring me a cold I'm now 23 years old, 24 years old. Bring me a cold iron ale. Puts it in front of me. Poured, you know that, that stuff that the advert shows you? Froth just coming in. Everybody's thirsty. Salivating. Take this thing, take a sip, and I, what's wrong with this stuff? So I take another, wait up, please, bring me another. He looks at me like, I said, no, I'll pay for that. Bring me another one. There's something wrong with this thing. So he goes off, takes that one, brings me another one, pour it out. What is going on here? And it's like in my heart, just a voice, not, not here. I've never heard here, ever, to this day, the voice of God. I'm, here, here. And it's just like, didn't you ask me to change you? I'm thinking, and I've thought about this many times. If the church had said to me, you want to get saved, you're going to quit, quit your boozing. I would have just quit right there and then. Said, I've tried so many times. I've seen my parents heartbroken. Just my father, a fighter, weeping over my drunkenness and my disorderly behavior, etc., I've tried, I don't know how many. If you told me quit drinking, I would have not, not even given it a go. But I did say to him, God, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what these guys are talking about. I don't even know if Adam and Eve exist. Never thought about it. I don't know. All I know is it seems like this guy is saying that you can change people. If you exist, change me. I really want to be changed. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to be changed. I'm sick of this life, but I love it. Think about that. I loved my, what I was sick of. Having enjoyed the pleasures of sin. There's pleasure in sin. Don't get so holy that you make out like, there's pleasure in sin. The Bible tells God tells us. Didn't you, didn't you ask me to change you? Never touched a drop of liquor from that day to this. Unless somebody slucked, snuck it in to a little cup when I was taking communion and it might have been real wine <laughs> that I didn't know about it never touched it again never touched a cigarette from 60 texts in a day never touched I can't even stand the smell of people smoking around me or even if they smokers and they walk into my company I don't like the smell I put up with it for Jesus sake you know what I'm trying radical conversion now, not everybody has something as radical as that. My wife didn't. And she, to me, and I'm saying this truthfully, my wife's a better Christian than I could ever hope to be. She really exudes Christ at every level. She's just an amazing woman. I watch her walk around the village where I live, and I think to her, just everywhere, it's, she's concerned about everything, everyone, available, just do anything, anything I can do. Run to the store, wipe up your floor, whatever you want, I'll do sort of stuff. She is an amazing woman. So I'm not trying to make out like, a, you know, this, that I'm some superstar. I had a really bad relationship with my dad. Really bad. He didn't talk to me and I didn't talk to him. And yet he died and I was his pastor and he was my best friend. 
and I conducted his funeral. We just loved each other. While he was my dad and I respected that he was my closest buddy and I loved being with him. All things are new in Christ if we'll give him time. It took some time. Loveless, living, blasphemous, whatever else. And you know that even in the club that I was I was one of the karate instructors before I had my own karate clubs. In that club, I lived, here was the dojo. If that's the dojo, that's where you train. You come down the passage, there's a little room here, about in this size, the size of this, just this little room. All I could do is a thin little bed, not even a proper bed. And I had a piece of broomstick hanging on the, across the corner, and I had my few clothes there and a, and a stool with my underpants and the stuff that you couldn't hang. That was where I lived for years. Right in this club, day and night, I'd go to work and come back, instruct, sleep there. People in the, in the dojo, they were astral projecting, having out-of-body experiences. Demon, I mean, regular, regularly. Coming out, all this stuff, because it's all based in the occult, grounded in. They're coming out of... I got saved and never had to be delivered. Some people say, phew, that explains things. Well, I'm trying to say to you, I had such, I've had such a wonderful journey in Christ. I have had some really hard times. I've been some, through some bitter disappointments. I've been through some bad health situations. My wife doesn't want to say this in case it's, she's scared of exaggerating. The doctor said to Anne, Dudley didn't nearly die. He literally was dead. When I had a burst, just Blood just shooting out of every part of my body. Well, not every part, you know, out of the parts that I don't want to talk about. <laughs> and my mouth. Just, I've had some bad times, man. But I want to say to you, I have enjoyed the journey. I'm loving it. I've seen my sons get into trouble. I've seen people leave me. I've seen them desert me, talk about me, steal from me. But I'm just enjoying the journey. They hurtful. But man, it's just a small part of the blessed journey. Are you enjoying the journey still? Seriously. If you're waiting for it just to all be great, you'll never enjoy the journey. And then when God called me, I had three businesses, two karate clubs, and I owned a company called Motor Rewinding Electrical. God called me. I just lost interest. Now, not everybody does. I'm trying to just say, I just got sold out to doing God's will. If God had told me to keep my businesses, and I think that God is telling a lot of guys to do that. But I just wanted, all I wanted was to serve God. I want to just help you to understand something about why I preach what I, like I preach. When I got ordained into the Wesleyan church, they flew a man out from Britain, from America, Marion, Indiana. And he was the 
superintendent of that whole denomination worldwide. And it was a big denomination when it comes to all of the world. And that guy, while he would never believe what we believe in terms of prophecy, etc., etc., when he ordained me, he put his hands on me and he read to me Jeremiah chapter 1 from verse 4 through to 9. I, before you were born, while you were still in your mother's womb, I ordained you to be a prophet. Now, I don't believe that he was saying you're going to be a prophet by office, but prophetic to be a proclaimer of the word, be able to see the future, become the future, prepare for it and become it. Now, I didn't understand all that then, but God had already spoken to me out of that scripture. And yet this man, he speaks to me that you will pull down, uproot and plant, break down and build. And that's just been the nature of my ministry. I haven't fashioned my ministry around that scripture, but I've looked back later and said, wow, I go in and I don't say, you've got lousy foundations, just build some nice stuff on top of them. I just say, you've got to get rid of the, the wrong foundations, stuff that's not good there. When the building goes up, it's going to collapse. And I've seen it over and over and over again. Churches all over the world that have ignored what I've said and it just, they keep building and it goes up again and down it goes and up it goes and down it goes and up it goes and until they get down to the foundations. God gave me the ministry of seeing. Not everything and there's some that can do it far better than me but I've got to be truthful to what God spoke to me. And Prophets, real prophets, not these guys floating around doing what they want to and no, not accountable, saying what they like, no fear of God, no fear of the consequences of what they say to people. I'm talking about guys that were in their time genuine prophets. Kim Clement in his early days who prophesied that Donald Trump would be appointed president years before he was when it was not even in people's thinking. Donald, Bill Hammond, Dick Mills, few of these people prophesied and each one of them basically said the same thing, that you'll go into churches and you'll see what's wrong. I'll show you what's wrong. They didn't know me. If you went to Dick Mills, uh, to... Bill Hammond now, he's still alive somewhere in America, and asked him, do you know Dudley Daniel? He'd have to be honest since I've never even heard of him. Never knew me, doesn't. Just God. I don't live by those prophecies, because I think a lot of prophecies don't come true because we don't pray them. Well, God's supposed to have said this, so I'll just, let's see what happens. Sometimes we've got to say, hey God, I'm serious about this. That, that bore witness with my spirit. Hope I'm, hope I'm communing. You know, guys, I'm feeling like I'm getting sidetracked, but I don't know why I'm going there. But it'll help you to understand why I can't play the fool, man. It's, it's in my spiritual genetic makeup from the call of God on my life, from the beginning. That's what it's been for me. And so you say, well, Dudley, why are you wanting to uproot stuff? Because God says you can't build on that stuff. You can't just cover it all up and say, let's just get on with putting good stuff on the bad stuff. What are we supposed to 
close at three, is that right, eh? Can you still sit for a few more minutes? Just whenever you need to go to the restroom or you need a toilet, whatever you call it, please go. Eh? If you need to get up and go for a walk, go for a walk. <clears throat> as long as you have a little talk with Jesus while you're doing it. Ah, <clears throat> oh, well, I'm going to move off that because our time is really running. What I would like to try and just come up and sum up some of this stuff now, what I've been saying a little bit about my own life, some, just some of these things that God took a drunk, an alcoholic, a guy who quit his job and went and became a beach, and I use this word in the right sense, bum, a beach bum, not trying to use the anatomy of some part of our body, just quit work, gave up, crayfish for a living, surfed, just in, this is life. God took that man and he began to write chapters that are the follow-on to the book of Acts. Listen carefully before you write me off now. The Bible is complete. The complete revelation of God by the Spirit of God. But God's still writing chapters for your life. Every one of us. There are chapters still being written if you let him. Because they still all the acts of the Holy Spirit through people. And I want, till the day I die, to still have God writing chapters that no one will, may ever read but in heaven. God's got it written. You know, the book of Malachi tells us that God listens to all these conversations. They that spoke one often one to another. He, he wrote those things down in the book. Just you guys talking. That's what he's saying. He's writing things down. Now, not in the way we know it. He's using language that we understand. Let him write chapters about your life. More chapters. Big chapters. Exciting chapters that no one will ever know of about your own earth. Or very few. Don't try and get into the limelight. Some of you that have been around for years with us will know some time ago, well, many years ago, 15 years, maybe more, some guys in South Africa, Kenny and you, you guys will remember, I think, guys were saying, hey, we need to write a book about you, Dudley, and, and New Covenant Ministries. Because all these other guys are having books written about them. Let's, we need to write one. And this was my answer. Guys, 15 years after I'm dead, I think it was 15, 10, 15, 20 years, I don't, can't remember the exact figure, when I'm dead, then if you still feel you want to write a book, maybe then you can start to think about it. I hope in my heart I'm saying you'd be crazy to do it anyway. But some guys, they've had books written about them, and guys who wrote in those books something about them wish they hadn't. We don't want books written about us, but him. And they said of the sons of Sceva, the devil had said, and the demons actually said, look, we know Jesus, we know Paul, but you guys. Who are you guys? Pow! That's where it's important, not 
do you guys know? But what he's writing. You say, but Dudley, I've only got a church of 40 people, 30 people. I don't know. I don't know if there's anybody with a church that size. I'm just trying to get down to a very low figure. Guys, I'm telling you, with 30 people, 40 people, 50 people, you can do more than some churches are doing with 10,000. You may never be as famous as them, but you'll be known in heaven if you're doing what God called you to do. And the thing is that I know that God will add to it when you're doing what God's doing. The least of you shall become a thousand. And the smallest a mighty nation. That Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 54. Enlarge the borders of your tent. Go deeper. Put in your stakes. Lengthen your ropes, your cords. Expand, enlarge. God wants to do that. And not every tent is going to be as big as the other. But God's got an ever-growing, more fruit, much fruit, fruit that lasts for all of us. Now, we've got 15 minutes. Can you cope with 15 more minutes? I can close now. I'm happy. 15 minutes then. In order to experience New Testament results, we must go back to New Testament patterns. And I'm using patterns in the broadest sense that I can. I'm not saying New Testament principles. So many people have taken principles now and made them such principles that they become laws. In order to experience New Testament results, we must go back to New Testament patterns, both locally and translocally. We are to bring biblical pattern, quotation mark, end of quotation mark, pattern, Biblical pattern, biblical healing, and biblical deliverance to every area of life. That's society around us, family, church, individuals, whatever it is. In order to get God to be doing what God was doing, for God to be able to do what he wants to do, we've got to get back to New Testament patterns. And one of the first patterns we've got to get back to is, God, what are you doing? Not what's the latest book on how to grow the church. God, what are you doing? But it's got to be spiritual. It's got to be physical. It's spiritual, uh, New Testament pattern into the whole thing. Spirit, physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, neurological, physiological, recreational. That one we could stop and talk about. What do you do in a recreational time? Do you ever have a rest, a real rest, where your mind's switched off? I so often feel like I'm sitting with pastors and they aren't with me. They're there, but they're thinking. Can't switch off. Can't even go for a walk without praying. You see, while it's true, I want to go on with that list, but while it's true that all we need is Christ. He's all I need, he's all I need. While that's true, why didn't God say to Adam, 
You know, Adam, you're alone. It's not good for you. I think what I'm going to do is give you Jesus. Why did he give him a woman? And that's going to cause a lot of grief for some men. And why did God give Eve a man? And that's going to cause a lot of grief for some women to have a man. Some people can't wait to get married. When they get married, they wish they'd never. But you see, the thing that our point I'm trying to make really is we need people. We need friends. And down through my life in Christ, most of my friends have been Christians. And most of them eventually became leaders. My circle got to where it was my friends by and large are leaders. And eventually I got to the place where actually I just wanted to sit with some guy who didn't know Christ but still had a sense of humor (laughs) and an interest in other things in life. You say, whoa, now we know the real you. You're betraying your unspirituality. Now you see, God gave us You know, isn't it amazing? God made everything before he made human beings. He made all of this mountains and hills and seasides and trees and beautiful colors, plants, flowers, trees, changing color in the seasons. He gave us four seas, all these things, all in flower. And it's all before he made human beings. And then he says, the earth I've given to you, while it's still mine, I give it to you to enjoy. When last did you just walk out and stop and say, man, I walk past this tree every day. I've never realized it was green. It's now going yellowy. It's now becoming red. Wow. Look at those plants, flowers. I didn't know that. When last did you notice even a hummingbird, small as it is, When last did you notice what God put around you for you to enjoy? Recreational. We're to bring spiritual principle, pattern, biblical. It's in the Bible. To every area of life. Can you switch off and rest? When I used to go on holiday, I'd get down to the south coast of Natal, and I'd preach in Lindsay's church. And I'd preach Wednesday night in this church, meet with these elders, another group of guys, elders on Tuesday. And I, just all running around. Mike Hanchard was in Woodlands and just running around like a mad thing. And you wonder why eventually you're wondering what's going on in my life. God just wants you to walk along the beach without praying. Now I'm in such a kind of lifestyle now that the moment I've got a moment, I'm like, oh Lord, I just want to bring these guys. You guys, I've been praying. I didn't know who you were. I've been praying for you for months. Because the last group I had here, I think was in October last year. Since then, I've been praying literally, to my knowledge, every single day for you guys. It's just like, and God, I think God sometimes says, man, son, relax. <laughs> yes, pray. I know I, you, you've got to ask You don't have because you don't ask. But man, enjoy something. 
I'm talking to JD on a, we're FaceTiming, and he makes a statement. I think, oh boy, whoa, that could lead. Just a casual statement about his kid. And I think, sure, I wonder if she's okay. Oh, Father, bless that little girl. Please keep your hand on. It's like, just enjoy the conversation while it's happening, man. This is not spiritual to be doing what I'm doing, and I'm just being honest with you. This is, a, this is not a good thing. I can tell you, do you guys pray most of the day? You, none of you can say yes. I can nearly say that now. You say, wow, he's spirit. I say, man, this is a bad thing. <laughs> Don't get there. Now, you hear what I'm saying? Now you, oh, praise God, we're never going to pray again. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Recreational. Financial. God wants to restore what we've lost. He's the God of restoration. He gave me a word some time ago when I was really not, I was really bad. I think it was with this cancer in my face. And, when, you know, these doctors, they try to hide it, and then they, when they get it out, and then, then it goes too far. Guys are telling me, oh, man, this, this is bad. This has gone so deep now. I mean, they, they operated on this. Yeah, they started here, little cut. Three, I went in three times for surgery. And you just like the devil's just saying, you finished, man. This cancer's through. She's telling me, the surgeon, that it's gone right into the, into the, the deepest parts. It's in through the bone. It's gone down. It's in. I'm, I'm thinking, Father, you know, when I was leading the team, I would have literally thousands, tens of thousands of people who would pray. You're lead, no longer leading the team. You've got like a handful. You guys that want to just get out of your church and be translocal, you, you lose a lot of prayers. I'm thinking, Father. And in his word that day, he just speaks to me. I will be the nourisher of your youth. I don't know if I'm quoting it quite right now. Was, I think it was, I was reading the Message Bible, one of the, one of the Message Bible, one of the translations, and I'll be the restorer of your life. And, I will, and the nourish of, of your youth or something, restore your youth or whatever it is. And I might not look like I've been restored youth-wise, but I'm telling you I feel like a young man, and I think by and large like a young man. When I look at, I'm like this, I want to, when you guys that are going to South Africa, Sirens asked me, and they were supposed to have some guy come and, I think it was Chris um, Smith was going to come and let me just preach this thing that they could show it. It's not going to happen now, to my knowledge. So I prepared this thing on being a Caleb, spirited. Together in our togetherness, Caleb, 80 years old, because I was taking this word 40, because it's the 40th birthday. I don't know what's going to happen with that, that equip time that they're having in South Africa, the world equip. But I've got this little ten minute, well, five minute, 10 minute message. My five minute messages normally come a little longer than five minutes, but... <laughs> so I was taking 40. I mean, you look at the big biblical... If, if this ever does get played there, you'll have to put up with I'm not going to preach the message, but this little part. Well, I've got five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Just 
40 years is very significant. I mean, 40, that word, that number 40, I think it's 170 times in the Bible. 40 day fasts and Jesus 40 days in the wilderness and blah, 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 40, 40. And I looked at this, this guy, Caleb, I don't know why I kind of was thinking when he was 40 years old, but he was actually 45 years old. So I, but I felt like God, God gave me this word when Tyron said, would you do a little preach? And, I, and, and straight away, I was going to say no, because I, I really don't want to do it. So I, I, straight away drops into my, my mind this word, awake. So I'm thinking, I mean, it's like powerful. It's, it's almost it's like you hearing me now. Awake. And I'm thinking, God, do you think I'm sleeping? What? Do I? <laughs> awake. So when I finish the conversation, I put down, and I just pick up my, and I just put there awake anyway. And then he drops into me, my heart about this Caleb thing. Man, trying to move off. I don't know how to finish this within this four minutes. We've only just begun. Caleb says, this is what you promised me then, 40 years back. Now, I'm ready. I'm 85 years old. Give me the mountain, the hill country, the hardest, where the most powerful enemies that Israel had they were all embedded in, that, in the hill country. Give me that. I was just really trying to say, hey, guys, in, in our togetherness is this team, all the churches that relate, we, we, we've got so much ahead of us. It is just like at the beginning. You look at that, you're going to say, man, that's pitiful compared to what's happening. Anyway, I don't know how I got there. I'm, there has to have been some link somewhere that I don't remember. Anyway, financial. Got to, you want to bring biblical pattern into the area of finances. Material. Got to help people to look. People need to know what to do with their finances. How to sow. How to reap. How to sow in the right places. What sowing means? Do we eat our seed? What we should be sowing, we're eating, we use for ourselves, and we wonder why God doesn't come, etc., etc. I hope I can one day get, because I really want to talk about the church. You know, there's a thing in the church that Paul writes to Timothy and talks about the widow's list. And I've preached about it to our team, and I think I've preached it at Bloomer about it, but I don't know a church that's doing it. The nearest I know is there was a man called Rory um, Dyer when he was still leading uh, Glenridge. He knew I was here, and my mum was in his church, and he looked after my mum. He told me, till the day your mother dies, I'll look after her. And he did. That's the closest I've seen to anything like what the, the Bible teaches the church to be doing. The tithes. What do we do with that? Sure, two minutes. 
But tithes, we use our tithes on buildings. Tithes are for ministry. Tithes are God's endorsement to the release of a new next elder. Offerings are for buildings, maintenance, travel. Are you there? Most pastors don't even believe this anymore, if they ever knew it. We've got to bring biblical restoration, biblical pattern to the material, financial, relational, moral, social, filial with our, you know, brothers, sisters, whatever, and our marriages. Biblical pattern into all of those. I think I've named 14 areas there. And so, with this, and I have to close, one of the main calls upon the lives of God's leaders in the body of Christ, Christian leaders, not biblical, well, I should say biblical leaders, because a lot of people that are Christian leaders are not biblical. They don't lead biblically, they don't practice Bible. One of the main calls on the lives of biblical Christian leaders, and especially those in the church, because there are a lot of biblical Christian leaders in business, but especially in the church, is to help God's people, first of all, to discover New Testament, kingdom of God, word of God, apostolic, prophetic, culture. Now I'm going to go back and say not only to discover, but to develop in. New Testament, kingdom of God, word of God, apostolic, prophetic, culture. Now I'm going to go back, not only to discover, not only to develop in, but to demonstrate, to live it out, show it. Kingdom of God, New Testament, word of God, apostolic, prophetic, culture. And then, go back to that again. Not only to discover, to develop in, not only to demonstrate, but to delight in, enjoy, kingdom of God, New Testament, apostolic prophetic, word of God, culture. We've got to help God's people to discover that through the word of God with the power of the Holy Spirit. got to stop. I'm, I know you wish I would, but um, there's these things running around inside of me that are driving me, I wouldn't say insane, but you say you're already insane. <clears throat> Please ask God to help for every one of us and our people, not just for yourself, but for your people. God, how can I do this in a way that our church can never be the same from the day I get back. We'll see seismic shift. And even if it's not seismic, it's just incremental and slow. We see shift. We cannot just keep going round and round and round and round 
the same old mountain. Break camp. Advance.